Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. So welcome. Welcome to week three in our mini-series called All Over the Earth. So far, we in this church, in this new season, have been focusing and drilling down on one word. We've been talking about hope because that is the only thing we have to spread all over the earth. We've been talking about hope in the past tense and hope in the future tense. We've been discovering or rediscovering that we have hope because our past is covered because of the work of Jesus. We have hope because our future is secured by the, God, by the call of God the Father, the intercessions of Jesus, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Words like justified, glorified, loved, unfettered access to God through Jesus, guaranteed physical resurrection, the full restoration of creation, and the truths have been going on and on for the last two weeks as, as we have read through Romans 5 and Romans 8. But now today, I would like us to move from yesterday and tomorrow to today. We have hope because God is moving, not just in our past. And we have hope because God is not just moving and guaranteeing our future. We have hope because God is moving right now. There are promises throughout scripture that give this to us. Jesus promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus promised that the gates of hell would never overcome the church in any generation of his movement. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit, whose very presence and character and gifts continually prove and point to God's working in today as he has always worked and God cannot be stopped. See, God's mission is ongoing. It cannot, like I just shared, be stopped. God is kingdom bringing and life changing, and he is doing it globally. Right now, think about it. At this moment, all around the earth, at this moment, God is doing unbelievable things. Right now, God is saving someone. People are being healed and delivered. People are being rescued from death and sin and darkness by our great God right now. Millions of Christians are praying at this moment. People are feeding the poor, teaching the gospel, baptizing, loving the broken, bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? We have hope because God is working in the now. We have hope because God actually cannot be stopped. God's mission cannot be stopped. We, we have hope because God's work is found across the globe. But we also have hope because it's found right here, right now, today in this church. And actually, this is where I would like to begin my message today. We have hope as C4, not just because of God's ongoing faithfulness globally or today. We also have a unique hope because of the unique story that's being unfolded within this season of our church. I want to remind everyone this morning, whether you've been with us for a day or decades, that the story that we are now living in as a church is a God-started story. A story that God has invited us into. A story that we are now living in the middle of and God will continue to do. See, God gave this church promises. He sovereignly decided to initiate something among us that we weren't truly even fully looking for. These promises have moved us to prompting, have moved us to continued prayer, and then to planning. We've been praying these promises, many of us, back to God for years, hoping and waiting and wondering. And now, of course, we are now seeing the new, fresh, sovereign move of God among us. Now, we have an unbelievable privilege as a church to live in a move of God. We are now living in a real, genuine, historically marked revival. 
Let me give you a quick summary of this unfolding story that we are living in that is giving our church en masse unique hope. Years ago, we as a leadership were given 2 Chronicles chapter 5. It's the story of the dedication of the temple by Solomon. And this, of course, is a historic event, but this was given to us as a promise that God had decided from his vantage point, not ours, to move in power and touch this whole church. The old word is revival. That God would visit this church very palpably for a norm, in an unnormal way for an extended season. Now, the summary of that comes out of 2 Chronicles 5.13, and it reads like this, that the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, that's the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory, and the priest could not perform the service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. When this was given to our leadership and tested, God was saying that he was going to come and touch the whole temple, and we know as Christians that we now are the temple of God, and we also know that New Testament teaches we are all priests in God's house. And so the promise was that God was going to come in a very unique, over an extended period of time, way in our church, and would touch our whole church, and touch every priest, and the priest would be overwhelmed. Well, that was given, another promise was quickly given within the same time period. Another passage to pray back to God. See, remember, God gives his promises to pray back to him, and then he acts. If 2 Chronicles chapter 5 is the promise that he was going to because he had decided to move sovereignly among us, then this next passage is actually what this move would be marked by, what it would feel, what the overarching theme was. And it's 2, Chronicles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 8 through 11. And it reads like this. We are confident, Paul wrote, I say we'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with Jesus. So we make it, here's the critical thing, we make it our goal to please Jesus, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done will in the body, whether good or bad. God promised to come upon this church uniquely with his Holy Spirit and touch the whole church. But he said when his spirit would come among us, the evidence or the mark of this experience would be that the lordship of the Lord Jesus would grow more and more among us. There would be a love for Jesus in average, normal, everyday Christians that had not been experienced in their lifetime or in a very long time. The kingship of God, the lordship of Jesus, the understanding that we will face him one day and give an account, and a desire to be and be like and with Christ was the evidence that his move was amongst us. It summarized like this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we were given this promise and we began to pray it back. We again began to pray for the lordship of Jesus and the presence of the spirit of Christ to move more and more. And we prayed wondering if this was truly from God. And in every increasing form, it is happening. But now today, as we're talking about hope and all over the earth, let me now give you not just the promise and not just the mark. Let me give you the third passage that we haven't really truly fully shared yet with you as a community. You could call this the picture, the image, the outline of what we're living in. Yes, we have hope because God is always moving. Yes. We have hope because God is faithful. Yes. We have hope because God will not be stopped. Yes. But we as a church are being invited into, and some of us already are filled with unusual hope at C4 because we are now actually seeing our prayers answered in the now. The longing of the church is now being answered by heaven. So let me give you the picture 
to continue also to preach, and I mean to pray back to God. This passage, also given to the leadership, tested for a while, is found in the very unread book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible, would you turn there? And if you've got it online, it will be a lot easier probably to find. Zechariah 8. Now let me paint the picture and the background of Zechariah before I get into the application of why this is given to us at as a church. And let me make this very clear. We didn't look for a passage that would suit our experience. This was given given to us in a prayer time and we went to go read it and we're stunned because of its connection to us. The background of Zechariah is the same background as the book Haggai, which we studied last year in our Promises series. They are actually overlapping books. The history of this passage and the history of this whole book was actually done long before it was spoken. The prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah went to God's people And they warned them about their sin. And they said that God, who is a holy, loving God, who we are married to, in covenant with, is deeply upset that we continually have affairs on him with other gods. And Isaiah and Jeremiah said, we cannot continue to do this. We must repent. The people did not listen to God. God warned them, pleaded with them time and time again, and they chose rebellion and adultery over love. And so God allowed them to go into bondage. God's people were exiled from their land. The temple that was built by Solomon, the experience of 2 Chronicles 5, was burned to the ground. Judaism as a religion went into crisis. The contents of the temple and all the people, or the vast amount, were taken into exile into Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, in the midst of that extreme darkness, a promise was given also that it would not always be like this, and God, by his own hand, would return his people back, this, back to this land to begin rebuilding. Seventy years later, hear that this morning, seventy, a whole generation passes, and they're still in captivity, and God then moves. You could read the story in Nehemiah and Ezra. They begin to come back to the land. They begin to rebuild the walls and the temple. And as Ezra and Nehemiah are giving leadership, as all things happen, corporately, spiritually, all moves of God, the people of God begin with great zeal and great enthusiasm, and they begin to rebuild the walls, and even the foundation of the temple is almost finished. But then... But then there is opposition by local tribal groups, the Samaritans and others, and they begin to faint under the pressure, and they stop working on the temple. Sixteen years pass from their return. Sixteen years of unfaithfulness after God has been faithful to them, and God says, sends the prophet Haggai first, then Zechariah. And Haggai begins to say to them, we, are, we have been set free and we've been brought back from God and God has promised us something we are ignoring. That if we rebuild the temple of God, the same presence, the same power of God will be found among us again like it was in Second Chronicles 5 and we will be made whole again. But the people, the good people decided to stop. They had moved from his presence and his promises to the problems of everyday life. Do you remember how Haggai began? Haggai 1-2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, my people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Do you remember all the very good excuses they gave? And they're quite good. 
They were farmers, and they were saying to God, well, you want us to build the temple, but it's harvest season, so you can't do both things, and so we're going to harvest and deal with the temple later, God. Thanks so much. And then another whole group actually were still in Babylon, and they didn't want to come home because they had integrated in a very comfortable middle-class lifestyle in Babylon. Who wants to go back to a situation where you're being threatened and you have to move your kids? No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're just going to stay here. We know from the book of Ezra, the political situation was dangerous. They were being physically threatened by other groups. And they were also being lied to, lied about, to the highest king in the land by the groups that opposed them. So peaceful leaders were saying, let's wait for a better time. And then there was the fund themselves, the funds themselves. There was a drought in the land. And so there was very little to give anyway. And then, of course, we found it in the end. And the little money they had left over, they were spending on their own houses and not on God's. So God comes through the prophet Haggai and says, listen, I know things are tough and I know things are real, but actually I'm going to tell you to do something anyways. Build my temple and do it right now because if you build my temple and you obey me, great blessing will come. So for four months, Haggai was given multiple mini promises by God to help the people of God accomplish only one task, one task, and that was this. Build the temple of God because when you build the temple of God, the Spirit of God comes and all will be resolved. Now near the end of Haggai's ministry, Zechariah is brought near the end. And he comes on the scene and he can, continues to speak and to inspire and call. Haggai was there from the initial clearing of the rubble to the foundation being accomplished. And Zechariah comes from the foundation all the way to the completion of the temple. And the great summary is found in Zechariah chapter 8. And it is a historic thing and we're going to understand that. But this also is a critical passage for our church in this season. Zechariah 8.1 reads like this. The word of the Lord Almighty, that's the God of angel armies, came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. When's the last time you thought about the God of heaven and earth using those words about his emotional state? God, who does not sin, says, I am rightly jealous. I am loyal and kind and defensive. Anyone that would try to hurt my bride or to attack my people, they're going to meet me in the middle. I can't stand it anymore, God is saying from heaven. I cannot bear it anymore. Though, oh yes, it was your sin. And though you had an affair on me with multiple gods and I warned you and tried loving you and then I sent you into exile, I cannot, I will not be estranged from you anymore. This is how much I love you. Can you hear the emotion of God? I stand for you. And I'm with you, and my covenant will not be broke with you. My wedding ring is still on, and I am so determined that our love will exist together. Not only 70 years, even for the last 16 years when you've come back, you have not truly loved me fully, and yet I want you to know my heart. There, there, let there be no doubt in your minds. I, God, the only true living God, I am fiercely for you. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and I will dwell in Jerusalem. 
Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. God says, I just want to inform all of you right now, a new era has begun. Oh yes, my presence had left, my blessing had not been given, given as long as Jerusalem was broken, as long as the temple, temple was desolate, my promises will not be seen. But God now declares, I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it, my people? I am going to restore Jerusalem and Jerusalem is going to be marked in a new way once again. It is going to be a place where people will be faithful again. Why? Because it is going to be a city of truth. In other words, it will be a place where God's written word is preached and obeyed and longed for. And not only will the city become a city of truth where the word of God is the upper and the lower part of our life in the sides of our life. Not only that, then God says something else. And this is key to this passage and for our church. He says, not only will my written word mark you, so now will my presence. Because now I will make this desolate mountain a holy mountain again. In other words, I am going to send my Holy Spirit back in and among you and in the temple that you're building. And so you will actually know my word and my presence. And here's what's amazing. God's presence always brings what? Blessing, healing, truth, repentance, wholeness, restoration, rebuke, the kingdom of God on earth. God says not only will my written word return, I will, the author of truth, will return and you will have my knowable, fully palpable presence come once again. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. God says, this is what I'm going to do among you once again. And then God says, oh, I'm not done. I'm just getting started. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age, they will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with cane in hand because of their age. And the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is a beautiful, stunning image, if you know the background. When the invasions took place, the aged and the elderly were slaughtered in the streets or were starved to death during the the siege by Nebuchadnezzar. And then, of course, all the young men were either killed in battle or taken into captivity. And God declares to a remnant who has been through basically a genocide, hear my words. All that is now going to change because I have decided. There's going to be peace among you. There will be generations that will actually see other generations come to life. Young and old will be together. No more invasions. No more loss of generations to exile or war. One generation is going to see another generation who's going to see another generation. Grandparents are going to have the privilege of seeing their grandchildren under the loving provision of God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at this time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty? See, the people of God are the same as us. God declares these things through prophets, and we go, Oh, I so want to believe what you're saying. I've dreamed about this my whole walk with God, but it's almost too much. See, the promises cause me joy and makes me defensive all in the same moment. My faith is there, but my fear is stronger. We don't want to get our hopes up again and have them dashed, and God responds. You think this is a big deal for me? Really? 
You really, let me tell you, I'm going to rebuild your city. I'm going to rebuild your temple. You're not going to decrease in number. You're going to increase in number. My presence is going to come again. And by the way, I am going to do all of this. You watch me. You watch me do the impossible. For when I do this with a remnant, with a small group of people that have nothing, it will elicit wonder and praise for generations. Generations far after you're dead will talk about this move in their time as the evidence that God is still alive. This is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 7. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people. I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. God comes, remember, speaking to this remnant that's left. He says, oh, by the way, not only am I going to dwell here again, not only is my word going to be loved here again, I'm going to bring back all my people. Say, well, I don't understand. I thought they came back. Well, no, only a small group came back. There are still a mass amount of Jews living in the east and the west and other countries. And God says this, not only am I going to honor the remnant. He says, I am now going to begin to supernaturally bring back all the other exiles. There is going to be a family reunion that you cannot imagine. Watch me bring back all my people around my presence once again. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now you hear these words. You let your hands be strong. So the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. Well, the prophets are Haggai and Zechariah. But now both of them at different eras have been told to say the same thing to the people. You let your hands be strong. In other words, oh yes, I'm going to show up, but you also have responsibility in this. You have to keep going. You have to look beyond the foundation and the half-finished temple. I have given you a demanding task. Actually... I have given you an impossible task, but I am with you. And so what are you called to do in the middle of this unnatural move? Will you give, you withhold none, nothing back from me. And not only you give, you serve and you live a godly life and you work. Build the temple for when you do it, remember my presence and my power will come amongst you once again and there will be freedom. And then God says, do you remember? You know, before that time, right everyone? No wages for the people, no hire for the animals. No one could go, to about, go about their business safely because of their enemies. Since I, notice, not Satan, not the human heart, no, I had turned everyone against his neighbor. Do you remember the last 16 years? Do you remember why you went into exile? Do you remember? No money, no safety, no unity, no protection, no blessing. He, he says, do you remember? No military. Uh, no infrastructure, no reputation, no vast amounts of people, no political swag or influence. It's all gone. You're just a bunch of ready refugees that have nothing and no homeland, really. You're coming back to utter destruction. And God says, but now. Oh, yeah, that's all true. But now. When God says, but now, all of God's people should lean in and listen. But now, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The turning point has now come. The seed, it's going to grow well. The vine, well, it's going to yield its fruit. The ground, it's going to produce its crops. The heaven is going to drop its dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. Remember, during the time of Haggai, there is a drought going on. 
And God says, I am going to so profoundly move, I'm going to physiologically, biologically change what's going on in your region that everything you need for yourself and your family and to build the temple and to lead and walk will now be given by my hand. I have decided to bless and not curse you anymore. He says, you know, verse 13, Judah and Israel, just as you have been a curse among the nations, so I will now save you. And you will be a blessing. And the inference is to the nations all over the earth. So don't be afraid. Let your hands be strong. You know, in this moment, if you know your scriptures, this is a terrible reminder to them. This is like a sucker punch in the gut. When he says Israel and Judah, we tend to read it quickly, but we shouldn't. This is a reminder of the beginning of the end for them. Solomon dies, and there's a civil war among his own people. And it says that, if we read the scriptures, that Israel became the northern country and Judah the south, and both of them eventually became apostate. They turned on each other, they hated each other, and they served foreign gods. And in the end, both Israel and Judah were taken into captivity. And what is being said here, and it's so unbelievably important, is this. You are a joke in all the nations. You turned on each other and you turned on me and you all went into exile. You had no homeland. You were nothing but a group of refugees. But now God says the civil war over. I'm bringing healing among you. The exile over. The grand reunion, it's beginning. I, the Lord, am going to restore you. And then he says these words that are always needed at grand moves of God. Do not what? Say it loud. Be afraid. Don't be afraid. Work and let your hands be strong because I'm actually doing this. You're not. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I determined to bring disaster on you and show no pity when your ancestors angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judea. So do not, repeat it again, do not be afraid. Do not fear. I am with you. It won't be like it used to be. I have determined it. Now, I want you to think about this. What a word. When God, who is unstoppable, says to a bunch of people that have nothing, I am resolved, and I am single-minded, and I am unwavering and firm and dogmatic. I am going to do good to you again. I have forgiven your rebellion. What doors I open cannot be closed. What doors I close cannot be open. Is that not encouragement to a group of broken people? So these are the things you are to do. I'm working, but now there's responsibility also for you. If you truly encounter me, you look like me, right? You speak truth to each other. You render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other. Do not love to swear falsely. Listen to the emotional language. I hate this, declares the Lord. God hates lying. God says, no longer among our people... Can there ever be a hint of what got you here in the first place? You must reflect the one you meet. See, lots of people say they encounter God through his love, but if they don't become holy, they've never met him. So you don't say false things anymore. You don't exaggerate or gossip or slander or lie. You don't play political games. No, no, that's done. You don't say false things. You don't spread lies. And oh, by the way, here's the critical one. No one gets to live a double life anymore. You don't get to live a lie. 
What you did in the past got you into judgment, and I have freed you of it again. Don't go back anymore down the path I'm rescuing you from. So this is what the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth and the fifth and the seventh and the tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. I never understood this. I'd prayed this passage for years, but never sat down to research this part. These fasts had been done for 60 years in exile. And they are terrible moments of reflection of the terrible things. They are memorial moments, not of joy, but of sadness. It's like what we see at the 9-11 memorial where people sit in silence and remember what was. Here are what these four fasts mean. One of them was when the temple was burned to the ground. Fast one. That's what you remember when you get together. The second one was when the wall was breached. The third was the killing and murder of a leader. And the fourth one was when the siege by Nebuchadnezzar began. And here is what is so unbelievably profound. Are you ready? God says, I am going to move so unbelievably, so strikingly among you, that when you go to commit the fast that I have asked you to do, you will be overcome with joy and praise and gladness and your past pain will be washed away by my new work that's happening in the now. When you remember the worst thing that happened to you and in our faith, let me tell you, God says, though you remember it, a new joy will spring up at you that makes no sense, but it makes sense in the end because I am working. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And then he declares this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So many people and many inhabitants from many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another saying, well, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. For I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. And this is what the Lord Almighty says in those days. Ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is really with you. See, the story gets bigger and brighter and more beautiful. And here's why. Not just the remnant is going to meet the living God and not just the exiles who have not yet come back. Actually, more are going to come. This is what is declared. All people, races, nationalities, they are going to strangely begin to long for and want to know and eagerly, eagerly search out for the living God. They are going to hear and they're going to see that God can be found, and they're going to go to each other. I mean, catch this this morning, please. Watch this. People that worship demons and other false gods are going to go to other people that do not also know the living God of heaven and earth, and they're going to say to each other without prompting, because they don't know God, we must in the strongest terms go together and go and seek out the God of Israel and make him our Savior, leader, and Lord. We will go and we will entreat and plead and implore and beg and pray and beseech and request that we do not just know he might be out there, but we actually get to know him. We have heard that God is really there and God is really among those people, so let us go quickly while this God can be found. Here's what's really profound. All nations will go to the people they mocked and made fun of and ignored. And they, ten to one, will grab the hem of one Jew and say, we must go now 
And we must go to Jerusalem because we heard that the living God, his word, is not only going out in power, but his presence is actually there. Now, can you imagine a group of refugees hearing this? That they once were in exile to these people, and the people that had put them in exile are the very ones, not just themselves, but are the very ones that God himself is also going to draw to do a grand new work all over the earth. These people are on the outskirts of power and fame and religious rule and military might. But notice what happens in the whole story of Zechariah and Haggai. Here it is. Number one, it starts with God, not with his people. Halfway through, God is sustaining the move. And at the end, God still does it. Now, we're a Christian church. You all know that, right? We're a Christian church. And so, of course, we know that the ultimate fulfillment of this and all Old Testament passages find their culmination in who? Say his name. Jesus, absolutely. We know this because Jesus started a new movement and the New Testament teaches that we now are actually the temple of God and all nations now have access to the God of Israel through Jesus and by the giving of his spirit. All nations get saved and get to come to the holy mountain through Jesus. It's what Paul wrote in Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Well, and who? For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, so there is neither Jew or non-Jew, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that there are no longer Jews or non-Jews or male or female. Those distinctions hold. What this is saying is all people now have access to the holy mountain. And of course, we know how the story ends in Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation chapter 5, it says, I preached this a few weeks ago, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs now to our mutual God, our God, who sits in the throne and to the Lamb. And everyone can say, amen, right. So we know the ultimate fulfillment of Zechariah 8, we're sitting in it right now, right now in this church. And ultimately will be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. We have hope as Christians because our past is covered. Period. We have hope because our future is secure. A new creation is coming. Resurrection is coming. And no one can take salvation from us. God has given it. We have hope because God is still working today. In the worst and best places on earth, the kingdom of God is advancing bit by bit globally. But we have unusual hope in this church. And in this season, and as I've preached for so long, it only will be a season. Because God sovereignly decided, and we don't know why, to start an unusual work that is beyond normal church. You say, John, okay. What do we do with this? Well, let me work this through with you. Number one, if you belong to this church, every single one of us should be praying 2 Chronicles 5 back to the Lord every single day. Are you doing that? Are you going before the Lord? You you know, Moses and Abraham did this all the time. They reminded God of his promises. They were an insult, but we should be going before the Lord and say, Lord, I just want to say thank you for this. And I'm asking you to come upon the whole temple, and I'm asking you to come upon me and all the priests, Lord, like I am, I'm requesting this now. It's the first thing every one of us should be doing. 
Here's the second thing. Every single one of us should be praying through 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 11 and saying, we welcome and ask the Spirit of God to bring the Lordship of Jesus across and in this church in a way that cannot be programmed or preached, that there would be a deep love for Jesus so much that at points we'd want to be away from the body and at home with him, but we'd all live for the realization we're going we're to give account to Jesus. That's an unnatural thing. Do you agree? Do you agree? Yes, it is. So we need to be praying the promise and also the mark. Here's the third thing, and it's not in my notes. Let me just say this, though. If you are one of the hundreds of people in the last few years that have had a very profound encounter with Christ, guard what the Lord has done in your life. Guard what the Lord has done in your life. Do not go back to what he saved you from or healed you from. You continue to walk in the thing he began. But here's the third thing, or fourth thing, I'd like us all to do, and it's this. We need now to go before the Lord and say to him, Lord, because you have started this, not us, and we're going to continue to work. Our hands are going to be strong as a church. We're going to continue to run programs and pray and live godly lives and withhold no money from you. We're just going to do this. We need to also pray Zechariah 8 back to the Lord and say, Lord, may our church literally look like this over time. And so here's what I'd like to do to end this Part. And then we'll talk about this through our connect groups later in the next few weeks. But what I'd like to do is I would like to lead us through Zechariah 8. And I'm going to take moments to stop to explain some things. So this is going to be a prayer moment and a teaching moment. And then I'm going to ask you to say amen. And when I ask you to say amen, I, I want you to literally say amen if you can. Like I, I'm believing this and I'm asking this. Because God has given us an unbelievable promise, an unbelievable mark, and he's given us an unbelievable picture. So let's begin together. Can you posture yourself however you need to? Stand, sit, um, however you need to posture yourself before the Lord. And it's just critical we do this. Because again, this is hope-inspiring and critical to us. So the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very jealous for C4. I'm burning with jealousy for this church. And this is what the Lord says. I will return to C4 and I will dwell in C4 and C4 will be a city of truth and it will be a holy mountain. So let me explain this and then we'll pray it. That this church would be known for the power of God through its preaching and the love of God's word. And not only that, that this church would be marked by the unnatural presence of the Holy Spirit through gifts and character and signs and wonders. So Lord, we pray this. Lord, you've initiated this, so we're just agreeing with you. Make C4 a city of truth where your word goes out in power and your word is not resisted and there is a deep new love for the written word of God. And we also pray as a church that we would now be marked by signs and wonders. That the Spirit of God would move in such power that the unnatural presence of God, the palpable presence would be found so strongly here that people would encounter the living God through the Holy Spirit led to Jesus. So we pray for, for deeds and words, power and presence. Lord, do this thing beyond us, we ask. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in C4, each of them cane in hand because of their age. And C4 will be filled with boys and girls playing there. 
Lord, our prayer is that when you move and continue to move, like you promised out of 2 Chronicles 5 for this season, that many generations will be touched. Our prayer is not just that teens or young adults have a new experience with God. We are asking that every single generation will be touched by the living God in this time. Children, teens, young adults, and adults. And one generation will see another generation meeting the living, true God in this season. And all people said, amen. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to you, C4, at this time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty? Well, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save people from the countries of the east and the west, and I will bring them back to live in C4. They will be my people. I will be faithful, faithful and righteous to them as their God. Now, let me explain what this means for us. This is talking about the return of prodigals. The many exiles that are still not among us yet, that once were us. And most of the time when you think about a prodigal, you think about a young adult that's run away. No, no, let me tell you, there are thousands of people in Durham, in the GTA, who once loved Jesus, who used to be deeply committed to the local church, but because of pain or sin, or a mix of both, have walked away. And the Lord is declaring that in this, and during this revival, thousands of prodigals will come home again. And so, Lord, we ask this, that not just teens who have walked away or young adults, we pray even for a more shocking move where adults would return en masse to join our church and other churches and celebrate their return back to the lover of their souls. And we all said, amen. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now you hear these words, C4. You let your hands be strong so the temple may be built. Build it with your prayers. Build it with your giving. Hold nothing back financially from the Lord. Hold nothing back from your time or money or your talents. Live godly lives. Serve the poor. Serve in local church contexts. Bring everything to me. Withhold nothing from me. Let your hands be strong. Do we agree with the Lord's command to us? Yes or no? Yes, we do. So before that time, there were no wages for people or hire for animals. No one could go around their, about their business safely because of their enemies. I had turned everyone against their neighbor. But now I will not deal with a remnant of this people as I did in the past. Have you been part of C4 more than 10 years? Do you remember when we had not enough money? Do you remember when we had mass disunity among us? Lack of vision. Do you remember when God's presence was not strong and normative like it is now on a regular basis? Well, God says that now is done for this season. Lord, we continue to pray you'd provide all we need. So, Lord, hear our prayer. Let the seed grow well at C4 and let it yield fruit. The ground produce crops. Lord, let the heavens drop their dew. Give these things, not because we're special. Give these things as an inheritance to we, the remnant of your people. Lord, hear our prayer. Can you say amen to that? Just as you see four have been a curse among the nations, I will save you and you will be a blessing. Don't be afraid. You let your hands be strong. Many of you personally who belong to this church and as a church, we've been mocked and made fun of by other churches and other leaders, and even people in our community for the vision God has given us. God says to you, though they are brothers and sisters, and even beyond, don't be afraid. I'm doing a new thing. I cannot be stopped. And so, Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. And then he says, you know, again, in verse 14 and 15, do not be afraid. And he says, but see, for these are the things you're to do. These are the things you're to do because this is how I got angry in the past. 
you speak truth to each other. You render true and sound judgment in your courts. You don't plot evil against each other. You don't love to swear falsely anymore. So, Lord, our prayer among us is this, and it's a bold prayer. We pray that all lying would die in our church in Jesus' name. We pray that all falseness would die in our church, all lying in any form, all double living would be confronted by a holy God and we'd be made right again. Oh, Lord, do such a powerful move of your spirit that all lies would die, all truth would come out, and holiness would mark us. And we all said... This is what the word of the Lord said, came to me. He says, you know, the fourth, the fifth, and the seventh, and the tenth months, they will become joyful and glad occasions. See, for many of you, with your great painful pasts, when I come in greater power, when this move takes place, joy will come to this church that has never been experienced before, especially you who have journeyed the longest with me, God says. And though you will remember your past, your past will not overcome you or swallow you up anymore. You will have the joy of the Lord that does not make sense, but because his presence is here, it will. Can you say amen to that prayer? For Yeah. And then God says this. Many people and inhabitants of many cities are yet to come to C4. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many people and powerful nations will come to C4 to seek the Lord Almighty and entreat him at C4. See, this has already begun across the region. People are already going from one city to another, talking, saying we must go. But here's what the Lord is inviting us to agree with. He's saying, I am preparing so many to meet me. They're already speaking to each other and you do not, do not even know that they're speaking to each other. You don't even think they're even interested in me, God is saying, but he said, no, no, they are preparing. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that this city to city experience from people who do not know God talking to others would begin to sovereignly happen. We just agree with heaven and say in our church and others, Lord, draw people in a way that makes no sense, but actually is your hand. And we all said, and I end with this, in those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one person from C4. And they're going to say, let us go with you to your church because we have heard that God is actually really with you. Lord, we pray that 10 people would grab the coat of each person from C4, not because C4 is special or better, but because you've sovereignly decided. And we pray they would say things like, we've heard God is with you. We've heard that God is really among you. Bring us to your gatherings. We actually don't want to meet you or your pastors. We want to actually meet the living God because we have heard that his unusual presence is among you right now. So our last prayer is this, Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Jesus, take our prayers to the Father. Spirit, give us access to Jesus. Hear this, Lord. Send your unusual, holy presence into this church physically and across our whole community. May there be such an unnatural presence of Christ. People will be drawn in a way that we cannot explain. Lord, we pray with confidence the promise that you've given this church, that you've initiated. Second Chronicles 5, come upon the whole temple. Second Corinthians 5, may the lordship of Jesus explode in greater measure across this church. And Lord, would you now do Zechariah 8 among us do this picture. May this actually mark our church for a season. All for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. So he truly can be found all over the earth. And we said amen, amen. and amen and amen. Let's stand now. Let's stand and let us truly sing and believe and speak to the God we've just prayed to.
Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.